Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. Good evening and welcome. I know we had Awana kicking off tonight, so we've got some people who are new to Sunday nights. Welcome to the party. This is where all the fun is at. Um, we have lots of fun on Sunday nights. I'm excited to get to share. And again, if you guys don't know me, I am Pastor Daniel. And I'm excited about tonight because I think there's an area that often gets missed. In our culture, in the Western church, there's, there's different things that we tend to focus on and some things that sometimes slip through the cracks. And I think that's one of the spots that I want to spend some time tonight. And I think it's an area that all of us have dealt with. I think everybody in here has either had a broken heart, been um, dealt with anxiety, stress, grief, depression, or someone that they love has. If you have never dealt with any kind of a hurt, anxiety, stress, grief, or depression, may God bless you. And may your streak continue. But just in case you break your streak, you can listen tonight and be prepared. So, as I was kind of looking at this, uh, it's so often an area that gets skipped over. We, we talk about our God, and we talk about his forgiveness, we talk about healing of uh, people who are sick, but in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, it says, Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is not a part of you that God doesn't want to reach. And somehow there is this idea that God cares about your spiritual. God cares about eternity. And then there's a whole group that they get that and they forget that God cares about anything else. And there's another group who's like, yes, God cares about that. And God wants to heal your broken body. But sometimes they miss, God wants to heal your broken heart. God wants to heal or set you free from this brokenness that can be inside. In 3 John, he says, Beloved, I pray that you prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. As I got looking, the amount of issues the amount of problems that we can encounter internally is an insane list. But if I just look at one of them, if you just look at depression, thought, well, how big of an issue is depression? And so I'm like, how big is the industry of depression? And they're like, just the medication for depression is a $13 billion industry annually. That's a lot of people. And they obviously don't want to be depressed. They just spent over $13 billion in order to not. But as as I looked, it's so easy to categorize and to divide. And, And Satan, who is out to kill, steal, and destroy, he tries to get all of us to fall into this this lie that God wants to heal whatever you don't have. And it's really easy to be like, yes. God cares about the big things because you're just dealing with a headache. And then if you have a big thing, you're like, oh yeah, God's, God's great at healing headaches, but he's not really going to heal this major thing. 
It's so easy to look and go, yes, God wants to forgive because of that, but, but he doesn't want to deal with whatever it is that I'm dealing with, but, but God does. But so often, if we can fall for this lie, we miss out on what's been included in our redemption. Does anyone ever go out to eat at a restaurant? Okay, are any of you Dutch? Okay, so here, I made a Dutch discovery. When I say I made a Dutch discovery, I was educated Dutch from a very young age. Um, my, my family is, is Dutch, and so from as early as I can remember, if we were in a restaurant... And you see stuff and you're like, I get to order at a restaurant. This was exciting. And you're like, hey, they have, they have pop. And we, have never, we never have pop at our house. So I'm like, I'm going to order pop. And dad's like, no, you're going to order water. I'm like, but they, they, they've got all these great things. And he goes, do you realize how expensive the pop is? You're like, no, you're paying. Why would I realize this? <laughs> but you go through and he's like, that, that pop. And I, in fact, I harassed him for this, but I was doing it to my son this week. I took my son on an adventure, and we went out to eat, and he's like, can I get that? I'm like, it costs almost as much as your meal for a drink. If we go to Myers, we can get a two-liter for that. Like, this is, this is not good economics. And so I just, like, as a kid, because we never had it, like, if you got pop, that was this crazy treat. But I wouldn't get order it because it was so expensive. But then as you like go on and you get older and all of a sudden you have to go places and pay for your own stuff. I remember discovering that I'd ordered something afterwards that was supposed to come with a drink. I was so frustrated. Not only did I miss out on the pop that was this rare treat, but in my Dutchness, I had spent money that covered something that I didn't get. Like, this is not okay. And in the end, like, it's okay, I survived. In fact, I'm probably healthier for it. Um, and, the, and the habit had helped me to um, get into a habit of drinking water. But you can have something paid for. You can have something included. And if you don't realize it's included, you miss out. You can take that cup that they gave you to the fountain that you're so used to getting water because you'd never order pop and you just go and you fill it up with water because that's what you do. And then later you discover you paid for a soft drink, you paid for a tea or whatever. And you're like, you just, it vexes me because I'm Dutch, but it's not a big deal with a drink. But when you're dealing with brokenness inside and you're going, yeah, God came to forgive yeah, they have healing services and they call everybody down and people are getting healed from headaches. People are getting healed from cancer. People are getting healed from blood issues. People are getting healed from all of these things, but you're going, well, is anxiety really an issue? Is depression really something that you get healing from? And, and it's so easy to go through going, well, what I've, I've got isn't a physical heart issue. It's a broken heart issue because I lost somebody that I loved or because I was rejected. And, and there's this long list of areas that can be broken. And if we don't realize how much God cares about those areas, we walk around without what he paid for. And we're missing out even though it was fully covered. See, not only is it like in there, and sometimes we like, hey, is this like a bullet item at the bottom? It's like, uh, yeah, maybe it's included. But when Jesus was asked, like when Jesus like, this is why I'm here. Jesus gives his mission statement. In Luke chapter four, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me 
because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, and he sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And he goes through this list, but he's like, it's like the second thing he lists, that he's going to heal the brokenhearted. In Psalms 34, 18, it says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. In Isaiah 53, verse 4, it's this prophetic verse about Jesus. And we go over it a lot, but we think of it often, depending on your translation, whether it translates it grief and sorrows or sickness and pains. And I got looking at this going, okay, what, is it, what does it actually say? So I looked it up. The word grief or sickness comes from the word, the, the Hebrew word koli. And it means um, anxiety, calamity, disease, grief, sickness. The next word, makab, um, anguish or uh, affliction, grief, pain, sorrow. And I've, I have quoted those verses so many times referring to physical sickness. But when I looked at it, I was like, wait, those cover emotional issues, emotional distress, emotional sickness, emotional imbalance, emotional pain, just as much as they cover the flu and cancer. So when he came, he was very intentional. It wasn't an afterthought that, oh, you know what? I paid such a high price for you. Look, it's a bonus. Like he went through and he said, no, I see you and I want you to be whole. Spirit, soul, and body. I don't want you to be tormented mentally. I want you to have a sound mind. I don't want you to deal with your whole life running from anxiety or depression. I don't want you going through your whole life stuck on grief. I don't want you going through this whole life dealing with rejection and hurt. And beginning to look at this and to look even in Jesus' ministry, people got upset because of where he spent his time. And Jesus' response was, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. He goes, my heart is for the broken. My heart is for the lost because I don't want them to be lost no more. I don't want them to stay broken. I came to bring healing. I came to bring wholeness. And when I begin to look at Jesus' ministry, it, it blows me away. But I don't know if you've ever had somebody minimize your issues. Have you ever had, they, they, okay, I, we're not gonna raise your hand in case you're sitting next to you, but I am sure you have all encountered the one-upper. And if you don't know who the one-upper is, maybe it's you. Okay, um, but the one-upper is the person that when you tell a story, it doesn't matter what is in your story. They want to tell you how their story is bigger and better or worse, whatever it is that, that we're going for here. If you had something awesome, they had something better. If you had something horrible, they had something worse. If you got five hours of sleep last night, that's okay because they only got four. Like if, it, like it doesn't matter what you're going through, they'll like try to one-up you. I met somebody like that, and when I was on a mission trip, I was probably like 13 or 14, and I'm like, this is the most annoying thing in the world. And then I realized it's because I liked to do it. 
And someone was doing it to me. And then I'm like, that's horrible. I got to work on this, okay? It was, it, was a, it was a wonderful moment of reflection. But a lot of us encounter people who want to up us or when we're dealing with something emotionally, they try to take it off the table and say that it doesn't count. And they go through and they're like, well, that doesn't count because that's not a, a real issue. That's just inside. Suck it up, buttercup. And they, they sit here and they try to just go, well, just don't be depressed. Just don't be. And, and they, it's very easy for them to minimize it. And I, I realized that Jesus came for it. But if anybody had the opportunity to do that, it was Jesus. But I want to check out what he did in John chapter 11. See, Jesus' friend Lazarus gets sick. And if you got, you got like picture, you go back and they don't have all the amazing medical stuff that we have right now, but they have Jesus walking around. So you've got people that are just desperate and so you've got people coming from all over to find Jesus. They're bringing sick people to Jesus. They're doing all this different stuff. And then they're, they're pleading for Jesus. Hey, I can't get this sick person. Could you come? And so when Lazarus gets sick, they're like, all right, he's Jesus' friend. Of course, Jesus is going to come. Go find Jesus. But they didn't have a cell phone. It wasn't like, hey, 1-800-JESUS, where are you at? Like, they don't have a cell phone. They don't have a tracker. And so you're like, well, where is he? And so you start like looking for Jesus and you're going around to all these different towns trying to find where is Jesus. And so by the time that they find Jesus, like I don't know how long they were looking for him, but they're like, he is really sick. Well, it takes Jesus two days to show up there. By the time he shows up there, Lazarus had been dead for four days. So they've been looking for him for a while because before they found him, Lazarus had already died. But Jesus gets the word, he hangs out where he's at for two more days, and he goes, all right, we're going to go uh, see Lazarus. And the disciples are like, are you sure that's a good idea? He's like, yeah, he's asleep. And they're like, oh, great, then he's going to get better. He's like, no, not that kind of sleep. He died. Jesus is fully aware of what's going on. And they're like, oh, he's like, it's okay, it's going to be awesome. So Jesus knows Lazarus is dead. Jesus tells them, hey, for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there yet because you're going to see what's going to happen. This is not going to end in death, even though he's already dead. But it's not going to end in death. So Jesus, fully aware of what has happened and what is about to happen, has this conversation with his disciples. Well, then he shows up. Lazarus's sisters come out to Jesus. If you were here... He wouldn't have died. And like, for real, they're, like, they're just devastated. And if anybody was to go, oh, stop crying. He's not going to be dead by dinner. Like, if anyone had the right to do that, it was Jesus. And, and they, they go through this. And, but, but here, the shortest verse in the Bible I memorized this one as a kid because I could say I memorized a verse and it didn't take me very long. <laughs> Jesus wept. That's it. It's the whole verse. I checked it off my list. Memorized verse. Okay, so if, if, if that's been on your to-do list and you're like, I can't remember a verse, you, Jesus wept. You can remember that. Got one. Okay, so 
But why did Jesus weep? Why do you cry if you know in 20 minutes the dead guy is going to be walking? Like, if I walked into this and I'm like, he's walking out, I don't think I'd walk in crying. I'd be like, hey guys, like, well, you're so chipper. Like, we're at a funeral. Yeah, yeah, for now. It's about to be a party. Like, I don't know, it would be really hard to come in not already excited because you know how you're going out. So why did he weep? Was it because Lazarus was dead? And I say no. Because he already told him, hey guys, this is going to be great. Then why did he weep? He wept because Mary and Martha were broken. And they hurt. And because they hurt, he hurt. And it's, was it valid for them to be hurting since he was going to be raising from the dead? It doesn't matter. And it's too easy to get into this conversation of, is this emotion valid? Jesus didn't get into the conversation of whether it's valid. He goes, I care about you. And you're feeling something. You're hurting something. And I want to bring healing. I want to bring wholeness. And it's, it's so easy. I remember having a conversation with my wife early on in our marriage when she was frustrated. She wouldn't tell me because she's like, it's not valid. I'm like, yeah, I don't care if it's valid. You're frustrated. I don't want my wife frustrated. So what's going on? But we can do that and then instead of getting healing, we just suck it up and we're like, I'm carrying my brokenness because my brokenness doesn't have a good enough reason. And God goes, you're my kid and you're broken and I want to bring healing. Will you bring your brokenness to me? And we're like, well, I don't know if my brokenness is good enough to bring to you. He's going, you're my kid and you're hurting. You're my kid and you're anxious. You're my kid and you're depressed. You're my kid and you're full of grief. You're my kid and you need comfort. He goes, will you bring it to me? Because I want to heal you're broken. So many spots throughout our Bible, God is called the God of peace. He wants to bring peace. He wants to bring wholeness inside. But as I looked, I realized that our world thinks that peace comes from controlling your external environment. But if we're trying to find peace in controlling our external we will either not have peace or be at the edge of losing our peace while we try to remain in control. But when we discover that peace is found in him, then we can have peace even when things around us are out of control. And that's a spot where so many of us need to be because we're sitting here and we're going, well, I'm, I'm so anxious because... And you've got legitimate reasons. You're like, because my, my child is, is getting in so much trouble. I'm, I'm so anxious because I just lost my job. I'm so anxious because the doctor's report wasn't good. And there's a lot of things that you could sit here and go through and you go, those are legitimate things that are on the outside. But that's not where peace is found. Peace isn't found from perfection on the outside. Peace is found from God 
on the inside. See, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. It says, we, uh, though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power destroying strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion that raises, raises up against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. I have separated verse three and five way too many times. He goes, well, our weapons... And we go through going, our weapons are strong and they're, they're not for, the, for fighting against the flesh. And then he goes through and we're going to take every thought captive. Do you realize that the battle of your lifetime happens between your ears? And it's here. And he goes, I want to bring healing there. In Psalms 23, it's a, it's a really commonly quoted psalm. It says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This is not a promise of ease. For though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are stuck in a valley. That means that there is a difficult time. But he goes through and he goes, I may walk through a valley but I will fear no evil because you are with me. And he goes, it's not about controlling what's out there. It's recognizing who's in here. And when I fix my eyes on him, the circumstances around me begin to lose their control over me. Just because they're around doesn't mean they need to be over. And in Matthew chapter 14, there's a story of, that, that, that's amazing. Uh, the disciples are on a boat. Jesus says, hey, get on a boat. I'll see you on the other side. Or he just tells them, go to the other side. I'm going to go pray. He goes and prays, spends some time with God, and then he decides it's time to go meet them on the other side and starts hiking across the lake. Not normal. Um, but to top it off, there is a storm. There is enough of a storm to make grown men petrified. And not even just grown men, because grown men who don't know how to swim wouldn't be that hard to scare on the lake. But these are fishermen who've been on the lake their whole life. They, they have spent, this was their, their family business, so they've grown up fishing, grown up on the lake. They're going to be very accustomed to the water and very accustomed to the storms. And they're in there, and they are freaking out because it's really, really bad. And then they see Jesus walking on the water, and, and they're like, it's a ghost! And they're freaking out. And they, they think that this means that they're going to die. And Jesus sees them and is like, hey guys, it's just me. And Peter, like, is, it, is it really you? If it's really you, call me to come out to you. Which, in, side note, that's stupid. Okay? <laughs> think about it. If it's not Jesus then they're going to call you out anyways. Like, anyways, but it was Jesus, so it worked out. But that just seemed like a, a not the best call on his part because if it's not Jesus, then you don't know. Anyway, we'll leave that there. But he, he, he says it, and Jesus is like, yep, come on out, it's I. And so Peter jumps out of the boat, climbs out of the boat. He gets out of the boat and begins to walk on the water towards Jesus, which is ludicrous. Because I've tried walking on water and it speeds below 36 miles an hour. It does not work. And, and so I'm looking at him. I'm going, 
He's walking on the water. His eyes are on Jesus. He got out of the boat because it's Jesus. And at Jesus' word, I can walk to Jesus. But as he starts to walk toward Jesus, it, it says, but when, in verse, verse 30, Mark 14, verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. If you ever try to walk on water, there's not much of a begin to sink. There's mostly just a sink. And so it, it began to make me ponder that there was peace when he looked to Jesus. When he began to look to the circumstances, he began to lose his peace. He began to lose his confidence. He began to lose his faith in Jesus and he began to sink. There's been times in my life where I've been in circumstances and Jesus said he would never leave me or forsake me. But as I begin to walk out in faith in Jesus, I begin to fix my eyes on the craziness that surrounded me. And when I begin to fix my eyes on the craziness around me, I begin to sink. I begin to be overwhelmed. I begin to be filled with an emotion that shouldn't have been there because I'd begin to fix my eyes on the wrong point. But when he looked to Jesus, and then in the midst of sinking, he cried out to Jesus. And this is one of those spots where Jesus again has the opportunity to go, how's it going down there? What happened? We were walking on water, remember? Like there's lots of opportunity for him to pick on Peter here. And go, why don't you swim to the boat? Mr. Doubter, checking out the wind, checking out the waves. But that's not how he responded. Jesus did not mock him. Jesus didn't point out and leave him in his mess going, can't believe you looked away. Haven't you learned anything following me? Like, no, he grabbed him. And how close to the boat, he, how far he out, he made it, I don't know. Drag him through, did he pick him back up and make him walk on the water all the way back? It's an interesting thing to ponder. But here's what's important. When he was in the mess, he looked away. Jesus didn't leave him. Jesus didn't give up on him. Jesus came over and Jesus helped him. And when we look away and we find ourselves filled with fear and anxiety and depression or worry from these things that are around us, God's going, why are you looking over there? He's going, here I am. Fix your eyes here. Fix your eyes on me. I want to bring you peace no matter what's happening out there. And it's this incredible lesson because Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3 says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And he takes this from being a lesson in a storm from Peter to going, this is, this, is the, this is the principle at work that he says, if you'll keep your eyes fixed on him, you can have perfect peace. In 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you, or cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He goes, if you can fix your eyes on him, you can have peace even when around you it's chaos. Even when around you, 
is hurt. Even when around you is broken. Philippians 4, verse 4 to 9, lays out a bunch of practical steps going, okay, God wants me whole, spirit, soul, and body. God wants to heal my emotions. God wants to bring peace. And, and here's some of this like basic, all right, how can I walk in peace? Philippians 4, verse 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. Okay, when we're talking about this, it probably means you don't feel like rejoicing. Let's be, pra- let's be real. When you feel like rejoicing, you don't think, how do I deal with anxiety and depression? When you don't feel like rejoicing, that's when you're going, now I'm dealing with anxiety, I'm dealing with stress, I'm dealing with all of these different issues. But he gives, it says, again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone that the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but... In everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. Do not. Okay, that's a command. I have yet to tell my kids, do not walk on the ceiling. Because they can't. If they could, I would have to tell them. Do not walk on the ceiling. Because, but, but here, here's my point. If he's telling us do not be anxious, it's something we're prone to and something we have a choice to. But I'm like, well, how do I have a choice? Because I don't ever remember waking up going, what's on your agenda for today? Uh, I think I'm going to be filled with anxiety and worry today. Why? Uh, just too good of a week. Maybe throw in a little bit of depression. Like, no, we already talked about the fact they spent $13 billion trying to get rid of depression alone. But he's telling us, I don't need to, but how? But by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but some of us have said we were praying when we, were, we complained upwards. When you just sit there whining and complaining, you start it with God, and then you have a 20-minute gripe session, and then you end it with amen. Do you realize that that does not leave you feeling peaceful? But he goes through and says, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts. And then he goes on and tells us what to think about. Think about things that are pure, lovely, whatever's commendable, things that are excellent, praiseworthy. Think about these things. And he goes on and he says, practice these things and the peace will be with you. And I, I, it reminded me of a conversation I had this week with a friend. And he was talking about not working out because he didn't feel good. I was like, that's fair. But maybe you don't feel good because you refuse to work out. He's like, that's fair. Sounds like a cycle. If you're not feeling good because you're unhealthy because of your choices, you're never going to all of a sudden feel like making those choices because you're unhealthy. You're going to have to decide, all right, as of today, I'm going to to exercise even though I don't feel like it so that you can start to get healthier so that you can feel up to it. Sometimes people are like, well, I, I can't pray with Thanksgiving because... My life is rough. I can't 
pray and, and cast my cares on him because I have all these problems. Yes, that's true. That's why you need to do it. We need to go, all right, right now I don't have peace. Right now maybe I'm filled with worry. I'm filled with anxiety. I'm filled with stress. So I'm going to fix my eyes on him now because I don't feel like it. Because right now when I don't feel like it is when I need it the most. Right now when I don't feel like it, I'm going to look at him and go, God, what is it that I can be grateful for? God, I'm going to fix my eyes on you. I'm going to begin to speak your truth and your promises and begin to declare them over my life and thank God that you're still with me even though there's a storm around me. And when I do, I begin to fix my eyes on him instead of my storm and my storm begins to shrink. It begins to lose its power over me. And I wish I could say that as soon as you do this, everything around you will be perfect but then I'd be a liar. But everything around you loses power over you. When I begin to fix my eyes on him, when I begin to, to, to speak his word, when I begin to focus on him, when I begin to walk with thanksgiving. And as I looked at this, it just over and over that that God wants to literally bring healing. And some of it's going to come as I begin to look at him, as I begin to declare his promises, as I begin to have faith that he is who he says he is and he wants to do something in my heart and in my life. But it also means I have to give it to him. He says to cast my cares on him. And it's too easy to hold on to them. And when I hold on to them, a lot of times it looks like just repeating them to myself. Uh, have you ever had a case of the what ifs? but sometimes they attack people right at night when you're trying to sleep. It's, well, what if this happens? And what if that happens? And what if this? And what if that? And you can stay up all night going over three billion different possibilities for all the ways that it can go wrong. But I promise you, if you do, you will not wake up feeling refreshed. You will not wake up feeling good. You will probably deal with stress, anxiety, and worry. And he goes, but if you'll fix your eyes on who he is, and go, you know what? What if they fire me? What if God finds me a better job? And, and you just begin to shift it and go, you know what? If, if something happens, my God will still be with me. All of a sudden, these things around me lose their power. And sometimes the things that we're dealing with, some of these emotions... Some of it has to do with our focus. Some of it has to do with our, our thinking and our speaking. And those and sometimes people say, no, it's a chemical imbalance. But what I think, where I focus, and what I meditate on actually changes what chemicals are released inside of my body. So sometimes, yes, there's a chemical imbalance, but again, it comes back to this, what's the cause and what's the effect? And we can go through this and go, sometimes there, there's a lot of different ways that this can come about. Sometimes our emotions have a spiritual root behind them. Sometimes it's from unforgiveness. Sometimes it's a thing that we've opened up a door for the devil. But in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it says, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And I remember my dad sharing a story about how he got free from a spirit of fear. And now it had controlled him and limited him in life. And I was like, wow, that's a cool story. I went to college, and when I went to Bible college, I knew that God had a call on my life. I loved people. I loved to talk to people. As long as it was a small, it was just like me and a couple people. But if it was in front of the class, it was like 
petrified. I tried to lead a small group full of high school students and I thought my stomach was going to crawl out my throat. Like it was ridiculous. And then my professor there, he talked about when he had a spirit of fear. And he talked about it affecting him speaking. And finally the light bulb went on. I was like, oh, wait a second. This fear that's trying to rob and control my life might be a spirit that Jesus came to set me free from. So that night, I went to my now brother-in-law before he was my brother-in-law. I said, hey, Tim, you know that spirit of fear that Robert was talking about? He's like, yeah. So I think I might have one. He said, you want me to pray for you? I'm like, yes. And he prayed for me. You know what I felt? Nothing. But you know what happened? I was free. It was a little while later, I came I came home from, from college for their summer, our winter. But when I got home, dad welcomed me home. He's like, hey, welcome home. Hey, you're preaching in Bay City on Wednesday. I'm like, uh, to the youth, to the adults? I don't know, call them, figure it out. I'm like, oh. But it was crazy because the gripping anxiety that was there with public speaking, was gone. There was some butterflies because of something new, but fear no longer had a hold of me. God wants to set you free. And for some people in here, that looks like going, all right, God, I'm going to have to give it to you because I've been carrying it. I've been embracing it. I've been holding on to it. There are some that are, that are dealing with anxiety, depression, worry, grief, broken hearts that tonight are going to leave healed. And in just a minute, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to challenge you because I can, set, I can pray and you can be set free, but if you choose to dwell and to focus on every what-if negative possibility, you will be stressed. But if you'll give it to God and when those things come, you go, no. My God said he would never leave me or forsake me. It doesn't matter what this report is. My God is my healer. My God is my redeemer and he will see me through. And if if we will hold on to that, you can find a peace in the storm. But there's some hearts that God wants to heal in here tonight. I want to do two things. I want to pray for those that are dealing with any kind of mental or emotional challenges, issues, whether that's a broken heart, stress, anxiety, depression, worry. And if you're like, I got a list, but that's not it. I don't care. You got, if you've got some emotional, some broken hearts, Jesus came to heal it. And I want to pray for you and have, see your heart healed because Jesus wants to see your heart healed. He paid to see your heart made whole. He wants you whole, not just someday, but now. And if you hear here and you say, I, I need a relationship with that Jesus who loves me and who cares that much. I want to know that I'm right with him. I want to give you an opportunity to make him your Lord as well. We're going to pray for those that are, that are hurting, those that are worried, those that are dealing with emotions that Jesus came to heal you from and set you free. Can I get everyone to bow their heads and close your eyes? 
If you're here or you're watching online and you say, hey, I am dealing with anxiety, with just being stressed all the time or depression, worry, grief, brokenheartedness, or fill in the blank with any more areas emotionally or that line where emotions meet physical, if you're dealing with those and you want to be free tonight, go ahead and just raise your hand wherever you're at. There are hands all over the place. I'm going to pray. So just keep that hand up and get ready to receive. If you're online, you can just put your hands up there in front of your phone or TV. God's there as much as he's here. God, I thank you for each person here that your love is for them. God, you said you'd never leave them or forsake them. I bind the spirit of fear, anxiety, and worry. I command it to leave in Jesus' name. I speak your peace over them. For God, for these hearts that have been broken, God, you said you wanted to mend, you wanted to bind up the brokenhearted. I speak healing and wholeness to these hearts. God, I thank you that you meet each of them, that your peace fills them right now. I speak your peace over them. God, from those lies that have been spoken over them, those lies that they believed of the enemy, that rejection and that hurt, I speak your love and your acceptance over them. God, we ask that you have your way in them for that healing now. In Jesus' name, put your hands down. If you're here and say, I need, I need to know that Jesus. I want to know that I'm in a relationship with him. I want to be right with God and I'm on my way to heaven. Then this is for you. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand when I count to three. One, two, three. Go ahead and say, that's me. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Awesome. I see your hand and your hand. Who else says, that's me? I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to know that I'm right with him. Awesome. All right, you can put your hands down. If you're online, you can type in, that's me, but we're going to say a prayer. And the Bible says, whoever calls in his name will be saved. So go ahead and join me. Say, God, thank you for loving me. Even when I make mistakes, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe that you died and rose again, that your blood washed me clean. I choose to live for you from this day forward. I declare that you are my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day and we will see you again soon.